Good morning. Please turn with me into your Bible to John chapter 4, 21 to 24. John 4, 21, 24. John 4, 21, 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Good morning. Pray for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. I'd like you to know that the lesson this morning is one that uh, comes from a list of topics that our elders uh, have asked me to address. Um, I'm responsible for what I'm about to preach, but I think it should matter to us that our shepherds feel like these are important topics for our spiritual welfare and that this is my effort to follow their direction and to feed the church as they think it needs to be. So that's that's what we're about this morning and and next week as well. <clears throat> we have come to that uh, almost to that time of se- of the year when uh, children's grade schools have their holiday concerts. Little children line up with white shirts and black pants and clean faces and they march in and stand on the risers and sing their little song and then they march out. And the thing that I want us to think about this morning is that the thing to really notice is the parents. Because the parents sit there with these bright beaming faces because their child is on stage. Uh, they beam like the sun. Right? Some of you do that, have done that. And they're convinced that their child has the most beautiful voice that ever came out of a human mouth. And they're so glad that everybody gets to see it. Teachers, of course, always know better, don't you? But for mom and dad to to hear their child sing, to be part of this concert, means so much. Did you know that God loves to hear His children sing too? Did you know that He takes delight in hearing us raise our voices in song? I don't think God cares if we have musical training. I don't think He cares if we have what the world calls a beautiful voice or that we hit the notes and the rest and the pitch right. But he does care that we sing. He does care that we do that. And he delights in hearing us raise our voices to him in song and worship. The Bible teaches us that God ordained worship for, ordained singing for our worship. And the singing that God desires is singing that comes with our own voices. Sometimes we are accused by people who do not know us very well that 
that we have something against pianos and organs and guitars and other musical instruments. But that's not the case at all. The reason that we don't use musical instruments in our worship is that God did not command them to be used. It wasn't His plan for our worship to use musical instruments. And so we don't use them here. Instead, we use the instrument that God made, our own voices. When you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus did not have a whole lot to say expressly about worship. But what he did say is foundational for how we worship. And the use of musical instruments in worship of the church violates the will of Jesus for worship. It has become popular in some parts of our brotherhood to say that the use of musical instrument is not a salvation issue. That somehow it's optional. That somehow it doesn't matter. And the question that I always ask is, when did God give you permission to decide that? And the other question is simply that since God has expressed His will for what He wants, then it must still be a salvation issue, a matter that's important to Him. In the Old Testament, worship centered on a particular place. It focused on the temple in Jerusalem. And it focused on the carefully prescribed rituals of sacrifice and other forms of worship that took place there. But in a conversation with the Samaritan woman, part of which we heard in John 4, Jesus explained that the time was coming when God would no longer limit worship to a single place. That the focus of worship would not be on a single place. He told the woman in chapter 4, verse 21 to 24, that wherever a person was, wherever they were, he or she could ex offer acceptable worship to God if it was offered in spirit and in truth. If it was genuine, if it came from the heart and followed God's truth, God's will for worship, that it would be pleasing and acceptable to God. That may not seem terribly important, but it was so liberating. It was such a liberation from what had gone before because it encouraged people to worship in an acceptable way where they were. You didn't have to go to Jerusalem. That God would hear your worship and God would be pleased with it wherever you were if you offered it in spirit and in truth. And it is this teaching of Jesus that is the foundation of what the New Testament teaches us about worship and about singing. We can hear that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. And that's where we'll be this morning. And I invite you to turn there and follow along. Paul writes to the Ephesians, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, always and for everything giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. First of all, Paul echoes Jesus when he says that we are not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. The context of our passage is important. 
And that context begins in chapter 4 and verse 1 when Paul calls the Ephesians and us to walk worthy of our calling. Having called to be Christians through the gospel, everything in our lives is to be worthy of the name Christian. It is to be worthy of the gospel. But then in chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul tells us to no longer live as the Gentiles live. Do not live anymore the way pagan unbelievers live because their thinking is futile. The thinking of unbelievers is futile and darkened because they live lives that are cut off from God, that are not connected to God. And when human beings are disconnected from God, their their thinking gets all messed up. Their minds become dark with sin. But for Christians, that's past. And the old way of life is to be put off, chapter 4, verse 22. And it is to be replaced with a new life, a new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. And as Paul continues, he explains in specifics what we're to put off, what kind of behavior we should not engage in as Christians. And he also tells us the kinds of things that we need to do as Christians. And he explains that in detail from chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5 and verse 17. And what he says beginning in verse 18 fits in that context. It is one more application of the context from verse 1 and verse 17 and verse 22. The contrast here is that we are not to get drunk on wine. Getting drunk on wine belongs to darkness, to life without God. Being drunk leads to other sin. It leads to debauchery, to wild, shameful, sinful, immoral behavior that Paul says is not worthy of our calling is not worthy of Christians. It's not worthy of people for whom Jesus has died. And Ephesians must stop doing those things because they are not Christian behavior. Instead, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Those in the world in spiritual darkness fill themselves up with wine and the sin that follows, but Christians are to be filled with God and with Christ and with the Spirit. We are in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is within us. God and Christ and the Spirit surround us and fill our lives. And true worship is not about the physical place, but about a spiritual attitude and the practice of God's truth. But what does being filled with the Spirit have to do with worship? Well, Paul writes this statement in a significant way. The main verb, the main action in verse 18 is be filled. Everything else is about be filled. Being filled is explained by the action words that follow. Speaking, singing, making music, giving thanks, submitting to one another. Singing in this worship is about, in this context, is about our fellowship with God and with Christ and the Spirit. And as Jesus himself taught, worship begins and ends in what is spiritual, not in what is physical. 
And instrumental music in worship violates the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of Paul. But as we continue, Paul explains what we are to sing. He says, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Students of the vocabulary of the New Testament tell us that there is no significant difference, no significant distinction between these words. One of the unique features of Paul's writing style is that he loves to pile up words. Words that mean the same thing. Words that mean nearly the same thing. He does that for the effect of additional words. He does that to underscore the importance of what he is saying. He does that to give stress. And that is what he's doing here. So when we read these three things, we shouldn't try to dissect them and and try to sort out the different things that Paul is talking about. He's talking about our singing. But the word psalm in the list does point us back to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. Some call the book of Psalms the hymn book of the Old Testament. In Israel's worship, the psalms were sung or they were chanted. And in those songs, Israel praised God and pleaded with God, made intercession with God, gave thanks to God. In the singing of the Psalms, they taught each other about God and about His nature and about how to live before Him in a godly and wise way. They taught each other and reminded each other of God's great and mighty deeds in behalf of His people, again offering praise and worship to God. When we carry that over to what we sing today in worship, we find that our songs have the same purposes. Praise and worship and lament. Rehearsal of God's saving deeds. Petition. Thanksgiving. In the New Testament context, our songs should tell about Jesus coming into the world. Our songs should talk about His ministry. And especially His crucifixion and His burial and His resurrection and the hope of His second coming. Our songs should encourage us. Our songs should lift up our hearts to God. We should be singing things that challenge us to Christian mission, that challenge us to Christian service. Our songs should teach us and challenge us and encourage us in Christian living. Of course, Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 16, We are to teach and admonish each other in our singing. What we need to understand is that every song that we sing is a Bible lesson. A Bible lesson that we need for our spiritual growth and for our faithful living of the Christian life. And not only are we to teach and admonish each other with our singing, Paul adds that we are to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Our singing then is really for God first for His praise, for expressions of our gratitude, and then it is for ourselves. As we praise God in song, we encourage and teach and exhort each other. That tells us that our first interest in our songs should not be how well we like them. I have a favorite song, you have a favorite song, and we're going to talk about that next week. But the choice of songs in our worship is not about singing my favorite song. 
It's not about how much pleasure the song gives us to sing them. And some of them are just a delight, but that's not the thing that's important. Our interest should not be in whether they remind us of Mama. I remember my Mama always saying, Jesus rose a share. It shouldn't remind, be to remind us of our old church back home. The concern of our songs should be whether or not they truly help us to worship God. And whether in offering God worship, they also teach and admonish us. The objective of our singing and our worship, first and last, is praising God and whether our worship pleases Him and not whether it pleases us. Another aspect of this, of course, flowing from Jesus' statement and from the context, is that our songs must always tell the truth. Appreciated the comments in class this morning about how important it is to tell the truth. Our songs must tell the truth. Our songs must conform to the truth of God's Word. And there are all kinds of religious songs out there. There is a great, great industry surrounding gospel music. And the music that's written and the words are compelling. But sometimes those words are not what the Bible teaches. And that makes them unusable. I don't care if it's your favorite band. I don't care if it's a beat that you like. If it's not teaching the truth, you can't sing it. You shouldn't sing it. It shouldn't be incorporated in our worship. The criteria for judging our songs is not whether they're contemporary or traditional, but whether they tell the truth, whether they represent the truth of God's Word. But then Paul teaches us about how we are to sing. Let's listen to verse 19 again. Addressing one another in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. As I said earlier, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs mean much the same thing. These words would have been very familiar to Greek-speaking Christians, which would have been almost everyone in the church in the first century. Not just because they were common words for music in society, but because they were the very words that they found in their Bible. The Bible for the Ephesian church was not an Old Testament and New Testament made up of 66 books. That didn't come along until later. For the early church, the Bible was what we call the Old Testament. More specifically, it was the Old Testament translated into Greek. And so when the Ephesians read this line, they would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. It would have rung a bell for them. They would have recognized it. They would have understood. Because when the Old Testament talks about singing or making music, it uses the exact same words that Paul uses in verse 19. But it also does something else that we should note. Something else that's very interesting. If you look on the back side of your notes, you'll find a listing of six passages from the Psalms. And I'd like for you to just quickly look through that list. And I want you to notice how often the words sing or music or melody or praise 
is repeated. You'll find them in every verse. Those words are the same words that Paul uses in Ephesians and in Colossians. And we should also notice, and this is what I think is especially interesting, is that in none of these psalm verses do we ever read simply sing. doesn't say that. All of verses speak of singing or making music with something. With harps or with lyres or trumpets and so on. Musical worship in the temple was done to instrumental accompaniment. And what I want us to see in, in these commands and encouragements to worship, that they always specified how they were to sing, what they were to sing with. In each case, the musical instruments. Now keep that in mind, because in writing to the Ephesians, does Paul say, simply sing? Look at your verse again. Look at verse 19. Does it simply say, sing? Not in my Bible, it doesn't. Just as the Psalms have calls to worship and making music and specify the instrument to be used, Paul tells the Ephesians in the same kind of language and the same kind of grammar that they are to use with their singing. It specifies what instrument is to be used. And that instrument is not a lyre or a harp. It's not a piano or an organ or a guitar or a banjo or bagpipes. It doesn't say that one time. But the instrument that is called for, that is required, is that we make melody to the heart, to the Lord with all of our heart. What instrument do we use when we sing? We sing from the heart. We sing, give expression to what is in our hearts through our voice. Now some have taken that to mean that singing is an inward, unspoken activity, not something we do out loud. And some of our brethren who use musical instruments in their worship have said that about these verses. But that misses what the word heart means. Heart here is not the organ that pumps our blood. It is not even the part of us that generates feelings. But as the Bible uses the word heart, it refers to our whole selves, to our whole being, to all that we are as a person. In Isaiah 29, God condemns Israel because they worship him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Meaning they were worshiping, but they weren't putting their whole self into that worship. They were only going through the motions. So Paul is saying God wants music in our worship. He wants us to sing and to make music. And the instrument he wants us to use is not a mechanical one of human invention, but the instrument of his own divine invention, us, me, you. He wants us to give our whole self to our worship and to make music to him with the voices that he created us with. And that's consistent, isn't it, with what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, that God is no longer interested in worship in a particular place or in a ritual limited to that place. He's no longer interested in the musical instruments that he ordained for worship in the temple. When the old covenant ended at the cross, those instructions ended. But he is interested in genuine worship. 
Genuine worship, which is given with hearts full of devotion and adoration. Worship that comes from the heart and is made with the heart. That comes out of our voices or in our voices from the very depths of our whole, whole being. That is offered with God's musical instrument. And so we don't use pianos and organs or other mechanical instruments in our worship. We use the instrument that God made, that God asks for. Our own heart, given expression by our voices. I think it's important, as our elders do, that we understand these things. But the end of understanding these things is not so that we'll necessarily know what the Bible teaches about instrumental music. And the purpose of this lesson is not to give us arguments to use against instrumental music. It's not enough to know all the arguments against using musical instruments in worship. Knowing all of this should influence our behavior in worship. And I say that because, you see, some of us are musical instruments that God made, but which he seldom hears. Because we have somehow got it in the idea, idea in our heads that we can sit here through the worship and not sing. And not open our voice. Just sit here. God doesn't hear us because we refuse to sing. We refuse to teach and encourage each other because we refuse to sing. Do you notice that this passage and the one in Colossians do not say sing only if you have a good voice? They don't say sing only if you have a loud voice. They don't say sing only if you have musical training. It doesn't say if you have a voice like that's scratchy or sounds like a cat being run over, don't sing. Nobody's exempt. It doesn't matter what your voice is like. God wants you to raise that voice in song. He wants all of us to worship Him with our singing. Our singing pleases God, and it is the worship that He has ordained for us. He wants to hear your praise. However it comes out, whatever it sounds like to the human ear, He hears it with His divine ear. He hears the worship. And your brothers and sisters need you to teach them. And they need you to encourage them. You know, we're not sitting here in worship as passive recipients. It's not like going to the theater or going to a movie and watching the entertainment up on the screen. Every one of us are worshipers. And God is the one who is watching and receiving it. And that's what matters. And he doesn't want us sitting before him with our mouth shut. He wants us to raise our voice and to sing to him. And so let's address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let's make melody to the Lord with our hearts. Let's lift voices that God gave us and as one sing to our Heavenly Father our worship and our praise. We're going to finish now with a song. How appropriate. 
And we sing this song from our hearts to your heart. And if you're here this morning and there's hurt in your heart or there's some spiritual need, we love you and we want to help. And if you'll come forward and make that need known, we, we will respond as well as we can, as best we can. Won't you come while we stand and sing?